The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. This used to be the Bible Belt. There was a steeple on every corner, and it seemed like everybody went to church. But things have changed. Fewer than one in four Southeasterners attend church now. And every year, hundreds of churches in the region permanently close their doors. This in a region that is booming. The South is by far the fastest growing area of the country. Five of eight of the fastest growing states lie within the Southeast District, while 92% of its metropolitan areas are growing. Over the next 40 years, 14.4 million additional non-Christians are expected to be added to the population, totaling over 81 million people in the Southeast who do not know the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. Since the book of Acts, church planting has proven to be the most effective form of evangelism, but we would need to plant 1,400 churches every year for the next 40 years just to match the population growth in the Southeast alone. This is a great challenge, but it also provides a great opportunity for those of us who are a part of the ESCA Southeast District. Over the past seven years, our district has planted 54 churches with nearly 30 that are in process right now. We've had great success, but there's so much more we want to do. That's what we're asking you, the members of our district churches, to give generously and sacrificially to help us identify, train, and send out church planters all across this region to meet the great need. We're praying that through your generosity and God's grace, we would be able to raise $120,000 for our church planning efforts over the next year. We hope that you will consider giving to support this important mission as we partner together to reach the cities and communities that we call home. Thank you for your enthusiastic applause. I tried to get somebody else to do it, and nobody else would step forward. And so it's sort of like I was the last one standing, or like, you know, those lines where somebody says, somebody step forward and volunteer, and everybody else steps backwards, and I was the only one left standing. So that's it. But Jamin did such a great job doing the video, didn't he? Yeah. Thank you for the one fan. Was that Jamin clapping for himself? <laughs> but, but really, seriously, church planning is, is such a huge passion of ours. We want to be a church planting church. The Myrtle Beach area has more than doubled, just in the Myrtle Beach area has more than doubled in the past 20 years alone. And many of the people that have moved here have, have come here from Pennsylvania and New York and New Jersey and the Northeast, places that are the least church areas in the country. They've come here, they're moving here, searching for the endless summer. And people get here, and maybe you're one of those yourself, and you, people get here and they're looking for the endless summer, and then there's only so many rounds of golf they can play, or times they can go to the beach, or times, nights that you can go out partying, 
before, you're left wondering, like, I wonder if this is all there is. And we want to be a people who reaches those people with the good news of the gospel. That there are thousands of people right now at this moment along the Grand Strand who do not know the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. And that breaks my heart and that should break all of our hearts. And so this small band of people, we want to be a people who are dedicated to the mission of proclaiming the gospel along the Grand Strand through every way possible, including planting churches so that we plant churches and we plant community groups close to where people live so that it's easy for you to ask a friend to come to community group or come to church with you. We want Jesus. This is our dream. This small group of people in this gym on this cold Sunday morning or cold for us. I was in, Megan and I were in Minneapolis this past week. We were in a coffee shop. It was 45 degrees outside and they had all the doors open in the space. I was about to freeze, but for them it was temperate weather. But for us, a cold morning that are here in this gym, this motley group of people, we, we dream that God could use us to to reach the Grand Strand, and we pray, we long that Jesus would be non-ignorable along the Grand Strand. For so many people, for so many clusters of people, it's very easy for them to go about their day-to-day life, their day-to-day work, their day-to-day raising a family, partying, doing whatever they're doing, and not even see or hear about, they don't even get a chance to reject Jesus, they just don't even hear about him altogether, or at least not in a way that makes sense to them or that's compelling to them. We long to be a church that plants churches along the Grand Strand to that end, and then we wanna be a church that resources, this little church, we wanna be a church that resources and sends people all across the Southeast as we partner with the other churches that are across the Southeastern District to reach this whole area. It's a nine-state district. There's only 60 E-Free churches in this district, and half of them are in Florida great fast-growing population centers like Raleigh and Nashville and Charlotte and uh, Miami and Tampa and Atlanta and others that I'm even forgetting to name that are large and growing fast and there's so many people there that don't know Jesus and we wanna be a part of them hearing about him. So we pray that you would help us to partner with that. Not just this coming Sunday, giving some money, $5 or more towards this end, but, but we're praying that out of this group here that they would be potential planters. Uh, I'm praying that somebody in this room is the person who's gonna plant for us in the Myrtle's Inlet area or Polly's Island area or North Myrtle Beach or in Conway near Coastal. I'm praying there's, some, praying there's some people in here who God would wreck their lives and turn their future around so they say, hey, I wanna go, I wanna go overseas and plant churches or I wanna go to Miami and plant churches. I want to go, I wanna go. We are far too comfortable. As Americans, as people, as the, most of us in this room, generally middle class people, we are far too comfortable with our lives. I think that what you and I are really longing for in our souls when we lay down at night and we wonder what's the next series we're gonna binge watch on Netflix or why is the game tonight so terrible? I wish there was another game on. I think what we're really longing for is a great mission. Something bigger than ourselves to devote ourselves to. The cool part of that, the 
encouraging part of that is as a believer, you are called. We all have a great mission for our lives. And there's nothing better, nothing greater, nothing grander that you can devote ourselves to. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone and seen them respond? Have you ever seen the light come on in their heart for the first time and gone home and and wonder that you are a part of someone's eternity changing? Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody and was able to share the gospel with them and Maybe they're struggling in their marriage or they're struggling with work or they're struggling with their direction in life or they're just trying to figure out what the Christian life is about and you're able to point them to scripture and include them in your life and you see the light bulbs start to come off as they grow as a disciple. Have you ever, and there are maybe few of us in this room, have you ever uh, been a part of pouring your life into somebody, guiding them to Jesus, and then you hear the joy that they got to share the gospel with somebody else, and they led someone to the Lord, and they discipled somebody? Have you ever experienced that kind of joy? There's no greater, like, there's a lot of good things in life. A good burger a nice evening at home with my wife or out with my wife. Those perfect times when you're hanging out with your family. There's some really good things in life, but there's nothing that I have experienced that equals the joy of being a part of making a disciple. Let's, as a people, let's not give ourselves to lesser things. This isn't my sermon at all. Let's devote ourselves individually and together as a family to marshal everything we have for the sake of the gospel and the spreading of the glory of God along the Grand Strand and across the Southeast and across our nation and our world. And he longs to do it. It's what he does. It's his great mission in the world. He took a motley band in our text today. It's not even a part of the text I was going to preach on. But this, the end of chapter, the middle of chapter six, excuse me. The middle of chapter six, he called, in those days, he went, uh, verse 12, in those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he calls, called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Now this, calling, calling these 12 and naming them apostles was a pretty daring move at the time. Because this band of people that he called are not the cream of the crop. Because this is the way it worked in Jewish life. Every male went to uh, synagogue school at the very basis level. And the brightest ones would get moved up to the next level and those that were not quite so bright would go home to work with dad to learn the trade. So dad was a carpenter or a fisherman or whatever, you would go home and hang out with him and learn the trade because they're like, you know, look, you're, you're cute, but, you know, you're not one of the smartest people, so go home and learn to hammer some nails. But the smartest ones come with us, and then you would go to a next class. 
And the cream of that crop would go to the next class and the next class. So when Jesus meets these disciples, these people that we call disciples and apostles now, it took some faith to call them apostles at the time, they weren't exactly the cream of the crop. Because these men that he called were fishermen. They were tax collectors who were the, considered the scum of Jewish society. Who took Simon, whom he called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, who, by the way, their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. Now, you don't get the nickname Sons of Thunder because you're like upstanding citizens. You don't get the name Sons of Thunder because you're at the library all the time. You don't get the name Sons of Thunder because you're like got perfect, like all the gold stars in Sunday school class. You get the name Sons of Thunder because you're raising thunder all the time wherever you're going. These are guys that I'm picturing and I'm just reading to the text here, but why would they call them Sons of Thunder unless they're out partying and drinking and raising a riot and a ruckus wherever they're going? These would be guys in where I come from that would be driving the giant four by four pickup trucks with lifts on them, with blaring hip hop music and like neon lights underneath it. Driving up and down the boulevard, picking up ladies. I don't know if they were picking up ladies, but this is the, this is the same group of people that they're part of. The Sons of Thunder. Peter, Simon, who he called uh, Peter, who, by the way, Jesus knowing all things, Peter is going to be a flake. He's going to be up and down, and he's going to be like in the middle of everything. He's going to deny that he knew Jesus. He's going to cut a, a ear off of somebody. Like he's not going to be. He's not a first first round draft pick. James and John, the sons of thunder, Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew. Matthew, who was also called Levi, who was a tax collector. Now, the reason that tax collectors were so hated and loathed in their society was because they were, be, they were people who were, who were Jews, who, said, who vo- basically volunteered and said, hey, to the, to the Roman authorities, hey, I'll be one of the people that'll, that'll t- collect tax from the Jews. I know the language. I know where people live. I know what's going on. So I'll be one of the tax collectors. And not only would they collect the tax from the people for Rome, but they would take off an extra cut off the top for themselves. They would be rich, but they would be hated by all the other Jews. They were turncoats. They were traitors. They were untrustworthy. You didn't know whenever they came to you and said, hey, I need $20 from you today, whether how much of that is actually going to Rome. you don't know, but you have to give what they ask to them or they can bring the whole power of Rome down on your head. And Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. So if we think that Simon was probably somebody who uh, was a part of the, kind of the, uh, we would call them a radicalized sect of Jews, the people who were, would, call, would be called zealots would be people who would constantly be trying to uh, raise up a riot in order to overthrow the Roman government over them. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus called these guys, and then he sent them out as his apostles. And these were not first-round draft picks 
All through the ministry of Jesus, as we're going to see over the next months, they just don't quite get it. He's kind of dragging them along. They're always trying to do something crazy. They go to one time, they go to a, a town, and the town doesn't receive them very well. And they say, hey, Jesus, you want us to call fire down from heaven upon this town and kill them all? And yet, this group of people, Jesus called them. They would follow him for three years, and then you would think after hearing the teachings of Jesus and being trained by him, when you get to the end of the deal, the end of the day, whenever the chips are down and he really needs them to be around him, he tells them, in fact, when he's going up to the garden to pray, whenever he's getting ready to be betrayed, he tells them, I need you to be with me. I, need, I am feeling lonely. I am feeling my heart is breaking. I need you to be with me. I need you to pray for me. And they can't even find the wherewithal to be with him. They fall asleep. They can't even pray with the man who is in such agony that he's sweating like, like it's like drops of blood. Their leader, they fall asleep. And then whenever he's turned over to the authorities, they all disappear except one. They all run away and Peter, who was one of his three main buddies, the one he really poured his time and attention to. So Jesus is a discipler. He's discipling uh, Peter and James and John more than everybody else. Peter, who's one of the people he's poured his life into, not only is disappears, but he denies him three times. This is the group of people he calls to be his apostles. They meet even after he's risen from the dead. They're still, they see him, they believe in him. They're still hiding in the upper room. They're afraid. Those 12 less than desirables, people that you and I might look down on if they were a part of your community group, those people Jesus poured his spirit out upon on the day of Pentecost and God arrested their lives and they devoted themselves to the mission to go and the world was turned upside down and less than a generation, less than a generation, 12 motley dudes and some other people who were just kind of hangers honors at the end. Maybe 120 people, about the size of our church right now, God took uneducated and maybe the considered the armpit of the Roman Empire. God poured out his spirit upon them and they went out. And before they died, the world was turned upside down. Now, I look up and down my neighborhood and there, at least on my street, there are house after house after house of people who I know do not worship Jesus Christ. They're not going to church on Sunday. They're far from him. They're not, he's not even on the radar for them. I drive by house after house of people who I know are just sitting at home and the biggest hope that they have on Sunday is that the game is going to be good. 
You probably look up and down your street and may feel like people are far away from God and it's hopeless. You might drive up to work and you're surrounded by people who don't know him and it feels hopeless. You might look at your family at a family reunion or uh, maybe you have a husband or a wife or kids who seem far away from God and they seem, it seems hopeless and it seems helpless. But what God does, it's what he's committed to, is to reach people for his sake, to make disciples, who, to redeem people who are lost and far away from him. Jesus said that more angels celebrate in heaven when one person, one lost person is brought home the 99 righteous. Heaven celebrates. Heaven has a party. God has great joy in it. It is great joy to be a part. And when you and I ignore the mission, we miss out on the greatest joy that we could have with our lives. The great enemy in our life isn't the things that we're doing wrong. The great enemy that you and I have in our lives is all the things that we do that are good, but just aren't ultimate. Your marriage, if you're married, is good. Finding a husband or wife is good. Raising children is good. Having a career is good. Working is good. Entertainment and recreation can be good. Great. But we miss out on the ultimate good when we don't leverage our lives for the glory of God and the making of disciples among all people. I wonder what your life and my life would look like if we really devoted ourselves to the great mission. I wonder what your finances and my finances would look like if we devoted ourselves to the great mission. I wonder what your leisure time and my leisure time is something that I was studying actually with this passage talking about the Sabbath. All Americans feel that we're super busy. And we are, we have a lot of stuff going on. But I wonder how much of it is necessary things. I wonder how your leisure time and my leisure time would look different if we were devoted to the mission. I wonder how your career or your time at your job would look different if you were committed to the mission, if I was committed to the mission with everything I have. I wonder what our church would look like if we, de- if we really really devoted ourselves to the mission of making disciples for the glory of God and the joy of all people a year from now. I wonder if there wouldn't be a lot more people in here, and I'm not about growing bodies. I'm wondering if there wouldn't be more people in here who would have, we could take a whole slew of Sundays as they come up and tell us their stories of how they were so far away from him and they felt hopeless and they felt helpless. They didn't think he was real, but somebody, one of you shared with them the gospel over lunch or they saw a difference in your life. A neighbor who you reached out to and served sacrificially. 
who might be sitting beside you or chair behind you or in front of you with an amazing story of how God revolutionized their life and drew them close to him. This isn't about guilt for you or me. This is about the joy that we miss. About the lackluster, listless lives that we live day to day. I, I, don't, I don't know what your life looks like necessarily. But I know I fill my daily life I build my daily life around all kinds of stupid things that I can look forward to. That in the end are just wasteful. Not bad, just not ultimately good. I wonder if we could be a people that would marshal our time and our attention and resources for the furtherance of the gospel, for the glory of God and the joy of people around us. I wonder if we would be a people, I'm talking to myself here, I wonder if we could be a people who would so long for God to do exactly that. To bring an awakening to our neighbors and our family members. I'm looking at some of you and I know the situation of some of your family members. You long for them to come to know Christ and it seems so hopeless. Broken relationships and broken dreams I wonder if we could become so desperate for that that we'd cry out in prayer to him. God, would you pour out your spirit upon us? God, would you start by changing my heart? Would you start by changing my heart so that I care? Because if I'm honest with you, Jesus, I really don't care about the people around me who don't know me, who don't know you the way that you do. would say, God, would you change my heart? And then after you change my heart, would you pour your spirit out upon me so that you would enable me not to be a coward like the disciples were before you poured out your spirit upon them and to be like they were afterwards, bold and effective for you. God, would you help me to team with the people in my community group and the people in this church for this great end? And I'm looking at some of you this morning and, and the problem really isn't that you don't have a heart for the people around you. It's that you don't have a heart for yourself. You don't really care that you are listless. You don't really care that at one point the fire and the passion and the heart that you had for Jesus is gone. 
you don't really care that maybe you've never felt that before. You come to church and you check that off the box, but you're far away from him and you know it. The people around you might not know it because you keep up appearances, but you know it. I wonder if we could start this morning with you caring about the fact that you are far away from God. That you're a rebel and you have been running from him as hard as you can. You've been trying to distract yourself in every possible way so that you won't have to pay attention to the fact that you are hopeless inside. That you are aware that you are guilty of a treason against him, of a ignoring of him. And a hard neck refusal to bow your knee to him. I don't speak in judgment this morning because that's the natural state of my heart as well. But I implore you this morning before you leave here today, would you either figuratively or literally bow before the king? Confess your sin to him and accept him as savior and Lord of your life. And for the others of us here, would you commit with me to It will be a journey, it will be a process, but would you commit with me to throw aside every hindrance and every weight that distracts us and keeps us from focusing on what is ultimately and most important? Would you commit with me to devote yourself for the the fact that the your neighbors, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the people up and down the Grand Strand would see the glory of God displayed in your life. They would see the beauty of God displayed in your life as you devote yourself to his purposes to make disciples and to spread the gospel for his glory. Would you commit with me to devote yourself to finding joy, not in the fleeting pleasures of this world, but in alone, in making much of him? Because if you're a believer, that's what your heart longs for. Your heart longs to throw aside every lesser joy and tap into the greatest joy of, in, of making much of and to enjoy making much of the one who loves your soul. Would you devote yourself to making much of and enjoying making much of the one who is worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor and every breath that you have, every bit of, fi- every fiber in your being, every step that you take, every word that you say, every day that you live, he's worthy of all of that being dedicated to him. 
to making much of him. That is the well that never runs dry. Look, I try to tap into inferior wells. It sounds stupid to say, but every football season as it begins, to be honest, I'm gonna be super honest with you guys. I try to tap into the well of enjoying NFL and college football, particularly Clemson, as much as I possibly can. Until about this time of the season, I realize it doesn't, like as exciting and cool as it may have been, it just doesn't fill that. It's a well that runs dry. And every pleasure that you seek, every inferior pleasure runs dry. And that's why we run, as Americans, we have a million options to run from one thing to another thing to another thing. Let's devote ourselves to the ultimate thing. The title of my sermon was going to be The New Era. And I pray that maybe today, for some reason today, would be the beginning of a new era for you and for me and for us as a church. To not just play church and play the Christian life. But to devote ourselves to the mission that was so important, so of so much of eternal value that God, think about it. You and I, we talk about it all the time, but God sent his son, the second person of the Godhead as a man, as a baby to live and to suffer and to die for the purpose of that mission to redeem mankind and redeem this broken world. That's how devoted God is to it. I hope we would be as devoted going forward. That we will begin to filter our personal actions, our household actions, and as a church, what we do and say to the mission of glorifying God by making disciples for their joy and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you that before my friends here, before my docs of family members, that I've been far too content to play a Christian. Oftentimes it's like I'm on a stage 
I know the right things to say. I know the right things to do. I know when it doesn't look right and it doesn't feel right. I've been far too content to play church. To be about the busyness of doing church and being a Christian. Than being committed to your great mission for real. Father, I pray that I'm speaking with and for others in this room. Who confess to the same or similar. God, we have been content with far lesser joys. We've been distracted by good things as much as evil. We've accept, accepted a lesser way of life centered around us rather than a, the greatest life centered around you. So Father, the first prayer of our hearts is would you break our hearts to that? you help us to mourn that today? Would you help us feel the weight of that today? There's great forgiveness, but would you let us feel the weight of wasted days and time and attention? Father, would you begin the work of changing our hearts? We can't change them ourselves. Would you change our hearts? Would you let this day be a dawning of a new era for us individually and a new era for us as a church as you break our hearts for how we have wasted and devote our hearts and lives to your glory to making much of you, of enjoying making much of you for your glory. Would you help us to commit our lives to leveraging our time and attention, our resources, our money, everything that we have for the furtherance of the gospel, God. Let it start in our neighborhoods and our households. Let it start in our jobs. Let it continue across the grand strand. Would you fill us with your spirit for the purpose of your gospel? Just as you did that motley group of disciples, God, would you fill us? And God, I know, I know there are those of us in this room they're far away from you they've been running they've been a rebel they have tried to distract themselves from you maybe the people around them don't even know it but God this moment would you bring a conviction to their hearts
God, would you enable them to confess their sins to you, their need of a Savior, and confess you as Lord. God, would you cause them to be born again? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.